This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody doing so far? I don't know if you were like me as a kid. I was encouraged to write a letter to Santa every year. I think it was my parents' intuitive way of trying to figure out what I wanted for Christmas. And early on in the Christmas season, I would be beckoned to write a Christmas letter to Santa. You may have done that. You may have your kids doing it this year. I wanted to share with you as we get ready to go some some letters that I found that some kids had wrote and their parents thought they were funny, so they posted them on the internet. Because that's what we do nowadays. When our kids do something silly and funny, we post it on the internet. So let's look at some of these letters. They're awesome. I really want to share them with you. Oh, we can't read that one. That's not good. This one right here, I'm going to read it for you because I remember it. This one says, says, Dear Santa, if you could, would you please turn me into a dragon? (laughs) And if you can't do that, would you please consider giving me a pet dragon? But I would rather to be able to have the power to turn into a dragon. That's so funny. That's so funny. Let's see if we can read the second one. Oh, we can. All right, here's, this is one of my favorite. (laughs) Sup. Dear Santa Claus, sup. Does your workshop smell like up dog? What is up dog, you ask? Well, nothing much. How about you? Zzzzing. Oh, snap. Well, now that the mood's been lightened, let's get down to business. This year, my heart would tingle if you brought me some Pop-Tarts and Bob Marley Mellow food drink. That's that's just funny. Also, I would enjoy having a Hot Topic gift card. What's up, dog? All right, let's look at the next one. Dear Santa Claus, it's Claire again. But I'm writing for my nine-year-old brother named Mitch. He wants a binder, a binder hole puncher. I want a hole puncher too. And a skateboard, but don't give it the skateboard to him. Mitch is very kind-hearted, but has a bad temper. And he also writes messy and doesn't like to read. Bye, Mitch. P.S. This is not his signature. <laughs> Lesson learned. Don't ask your sister to write you a letter to Santa. And here's my favorite one. Dad, Dear Santa, please text my dad. He has my whole list. I love you, XXO, Tennessee. Isn't it funny when we look back? We look back over the years and we remember the things that we would die. We, I, would, I would literally give my life if I could get this. And years later, we think, man, that was pointless. To ask to be turned into a drug. Now that is something. And I think that as we get ready to wrap up a series where we've went to God and said, God, what are the best gifts you've ever given us? Let's, let's unwrap them. Let's unpack them so that we can understand what you've given us in life a little bit better. I would like to point something out to you as we get ready to start that conversation. It's this. That the best gifts we're ever going to be given will last forever. Y'all remember, maybe, But I know parents remember when you save up and you save up and you get that really nice present and three days later it's broken. Four days later it's broken. A week later, two months, it's broken and it doesn't matter how good it is. 
In this world, the gifts that we pine over are eventually going to break. But the truth is that the best gifts that we're ever going to be given are timeless. They are eternal. They last forever. When I was in college, one of my professors said, guys, I just want to ask you a question. You Tell me, what, what's eternal? What, in the world that we live in right now, what's, what's going to last forever? You know, a bunch of seminary Bible college students just kind of scratching their heads, looking at this guy like, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm just going to tell you this. It's not part of the lesson today, but I just want to share this with you because when we understand this, it will radically transform the way we live. There are only three things that we're going to encounter in the world that are going to last forever. The first one is God. He was before us and he will be after us. God lasts forever. The second thing is God's word. God's word that he has given us is not going to pass away. It's going to last forever. And the third thing that will last forever are people. Your house won't last forever. Your car won't last forever. But people will. And so the question is, how do we take a perspective of the eternal things in God and unpack that to understand the gifts. Well, we've, we've done that. The first two weeks of this series, we looked at our family, and then we looked at community. We looked at the fact that God birthed his son in Luke chapter 2 into a family. That he was born in Matthew 1. It records that, that Jesus came out of a family, a family lineage, and then God convinces his dad, Joseph, to not leave the, the mother who was impregnated out of wedlock carrying the Christ child. And God does this great work to keep the family intact. And last week we looked at the, the shepherds in Luke 2 where they heard the news of the gospel and then went to go share it. And this week we're going to unpack another gift. Let's look at this verse out of James 1. James 1 says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lines who does not change like shifting shadows, James 1, 16 and 17. The principle that we've been building on is that every gift that could be labeled best, the best gifts always come from God. We can't earn them. We can't do anything that would force God's hand to give us them any more than he already has. The best gifts always come from God. And so today we're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. Another familiar passage of the Christmas narrative as is recorded in Scripture in Matthew 2. And we're going to examine this moment where Jesus is greeted by what the Scripture calls wise men. Now, wise men or the Magi, as are described in Scripture, were most likely priests from the area of Persia. They were from what is now modern-day Turkey. And 
The Bible tells us that they saw a great light, a star that had appeared in those days for mystics, all right, for people that did not have a, a, a scriptural framework, for those who were living off the, the gods of the universe and of the earth, a new celestial being, a star that appeared in the sky was a signal to a new king. So these priests from Persia, priests and leaders from Persia, see a star that appears above Israel and make a trek eastward to find out who is this new leader that is coming. And they go to the city that's the most natural for them to follow. They land in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel at this point. And upon landing there, they obviously have some influence because they're able to get a meeting with Herod. Herod is the king of Judea. He is half Jew, half Gentile, installed by the Roman emperor as the governor over all that area. He is a king to the Jews. And these guys show up asking, where is the new king? Now, for the average king, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. For the typical reigning good king, a group of people that showed up and said, well, where is the new king? They probably would be gracious and laugh at them, but not for Herod. See, Herod was scared to death to lose his crown. He multiple times murdered his own sons killed his wives so that he could protect his throne. So when a group of wise men with influence show up saying, hey, where is the new king? To Herod, that's a big deal. Herod's activity in that regard was so renowned that Augustus Caesar, the emperor of all of Rome, once said of Herod that I would rather be his goat than his son. And he calls the chief priests and the scribes together and says, hey, can you guys tell me where the Messiah would be born? Can you tell me where this Messiah, because at this point, Herod has realized something that's happened. God has sent his son, and he knows, he has already perceived what God is up to. And he pulls, where would the Messiah be born? He asks the leaders, and they say, Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, a city that is tiny, that has no renown, no claim to fame, except that it was the home for Jesse who gave birth to David, who later became a king. Now again, is giving birth to a king. And so Herod hatches this plan to send the wise men off in search of this baby king. And you guys come back and would you tell me when you find him, because I too would like to go and worship him, of which we all know now, knowing the background, that wasn't the truth. So we're going to pick up reading in Matthew 2 in verse 7. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found 
from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them. And it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the the star, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, now this is an important little little section. They saw the child was with his mother. Most scholars actually believe that at this moment we're finding Jesus old enough to be walking. They've left the stable. They're in a house now. So we're looking at a good bit of time that has passed since angels appeared and shepherd came and found them. Now the wise men are entering into the home. And on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, there's some things that I think that we can learn out of this passage, and I'm going to go quickly through them. The first thing that I would tell you is that when God shows up, some of us will welcome him, and some of us will reject him. Some of us will welcome him, and some of us will reject him. We're either going to be the wise men, or we're going to be Herod. Herod says no. The wise men say yes. The second thing that I would tell you is that it's going to take some work to find Jesus. It's going to take some work to find Jesus. You see, the wise men were looking for Jesus and they land in Jerusalem and then have to go and search and search and follow and follow and follow. And the truth is, is that we would love it if we could just make a decision, Jesus, I want to follow you and God show up and give us the life that he wants to give. But that's not the invitation of the gospel. The invitation that Jesus has always given is come and follow me. It's going to be some work. There's going to be some distance to travel. We're going to have to go searching and go on a journey. And the third thing that I would point out from this passage is that most often we'll reject Jesus because he's going to change our kingdom. Most often we'll reject Jesus because he wants to change our kingdom. You see, as a Jew who was informed, Herod knew that when this new king is born, when the Messiah shows up, the anticipation of the Jewish nation at that point was that the Messiah would come and overthrow political rule and establish a new government. Which is why who Jesus was was so confrontational to the expectation of what the Messiah was going to be. And so Herod is expecting that if the Messiah is born, he's going to overthrow me. To the point that he has every male child in Bethlehem killed. 
He's that worried about losing his crown. You see, the thing about our lives is they look a lot like kingdoms. Our lives individually look a lot like kingdoms. We all have a king. Every single one of us has a king that's sitting on the throne of our life. And that king is making laws that we will obey. He is setting the rules. He is telling you how you will navigate life. We all have a king because our lives look a lot like a kingdom. And we were all born into a kingdom that didn't recognize Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans that we were born under Adam, not born under Jesus. That we were born into a sinful and broken nature. That we were born into a world that is lost and hopeless without the Son of God who interrupted things at Christmas. So, the question that beckons itself after that is, if we all have a king and we all have a throne and someone is sitting on that throne, who's sitting on your throne today? Are you sitting on your own throne? Are you the king of your own castle? Right now, do you have other people? Is your spouse, your husband, or your wife, are they sitting on the throne of your life? Are your children sitting on the throne of your life? It's your career sitting on the throne of your life. What is sitting on the throne today? Because we will either be like the wise men or like Herod. We will be like the wise men or we will be like Herod. You see, the wise men followed a star that led them to Jesus. But Herod was his own star. You see, the wise men followed the star. And Herod was his star. We'll either be like Herod or like the wise men. Because the greatest gift that you're ever going to get the greatest gift that we could ever unwrap is Jesus. I just had a little fun on Facebook this week. I don't post a whole lot on Facebook or check it anymore, but I, I just put that I was in sermon prep. And it really, I, I laughed a little bit as I said I'm going to be preaching about the best gift we've ever been given and the stuff that people put on there because truly Jesus is the best gift that we've ever been given. Jesus is. So, what do we need to do to embrace that gift? What do we need to do to embrace the gift of Jesus this Christmas? The first thing that I would tell you is that we make horrible kings, and we need to embrace the fact that we make horrible kings.
We make horrible kings. We make a horrible king in our own lives. Other people make horrible kings in our lives. Things like careers and children make horrible kings in our lives. I will tell you this, all right? Wives, your husband, good thing. But your husband makes a really poor God. A really, really poor God. Husbands, men, women are a gift to creation. They are. The Bible over and over and over again affirms that as a husband, a a wife is a good thing. But women make poor gods. Children are a blessing to the home. Right? They are. They are a significant life-changing blessing from God, but they make poor gods. And if you've ever seen a two-year-old eat spaghetti, you probably should know what I mean. They make poor gods. We make horrible kings, but we try to be king, and we try to let other people be king. The second thing that we need to embrace to embrace the gift of Jesus this Christmas is that we all too often build kingdoms for ourselves. Remember, kings make rules and laws, and they expect other people to live by them. If you find yourself in a position where the greatest tension in your life is that other people won't do what you think they should do, you are your own king. Because we build kingdoms for ourselves. And the last thing that I would tell you to embrace the gift of Jesus this Christmas is that To fully embrace the gift of Jesus, we really must make him king. So let's spend some time unwrapping the gift and what it would take this Christmas to unwrap the greatest gift that we're ever going to be given in Jesus. What would it take to unwrap Jesus? The first thing that I would tell you is that unwrapping the gift of Jesus is always going to involve opening the scriptures. It is always going to involve opening the scriptures. In John 1.1, the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the word. The word used there for word is the word logos. It literally refers to the written word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.2 says, now the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the incarnation of the scriptures. And if we ever want to unwrap the gift of Jesus, we must open our Bibles. A dusty Bible on our shelf is an indictment to not having opened the gift of Jesus. We must. Look at this quote from the great Tim Keller. Tim Keller wrote the book that we looked at, A Prodigal God, um, uh, about a year ago. Um, Unless you have an authoritative view of the Bible, you've got a God that you created and you're going to be lonely. 
because that God that you've created is going to isolate you. That's where when you get into debates with people and they go, hey, I love you, but I know you think this is not good for you. This is, I'm, look at this passage in the Bible. This is, this is what the Bible shows us to do. But, and you go, and people have done this with me before. You know, I, I get that that's what the Bible says, but that's not what I believe. If you get to that point, you have a God you created. And we live in a world that has all too often welcomed a mixed spirituality. I'll just take from this person over here and this person, and then I'm going to take from this socket and from this belief over here. And No, we have an authoritative view of the Bible. Jesus is able to be experienced through this. I can open this up and literally encounter the Son of God. The second thing is that we need to accept the only thing that we can control is how we respond. The only thing that we can control in life is how we respond. And your response in life is worship. What you are responding to, you are worshiping. Do y'all get me? Let's go back to this passage, okay? In verse 11 in chapter 2, the wise men enter the home and see the Christ child. And what do they do? They bow down. In the presence of God, pagan priests who had no frame of reference of who God was bowed down to him. Because worship is responding to God. Can I tell you what it didn't say? The wise men didn't come in and go, Jesus is here. Y'all go get the go get the drums and let's go get the guitar. Go get the bass. Oh, let's get the sound system set up. Jesus, we're gonna worship you. Didn't happen that way, did it? It didn't. See, when we confine worship simply to music, we have missed a point. That's a, a tiny fracture of what worship is. See, worship is us responding to God in our lives. The great Richard Froster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, one of the classic books on the spiritual disciplines, said this, that worship is us responding to the great overtures of love that God plays for us in our lives. Worship is us responding to him. And whatever we're responding to is what we're worshiping. Number three, the gift of Jesus is meant to be unwrapped every day. The gift of Jesus is meant to be unwrapped every day. And I, I tell you this for those of you that have, have, have struggled with a, a lifestyle where Jesus was perceived as an additive. Like if I can just get a little bit more Jesus, life is going to be better. Like it sprinkles on a cupcake. 
I mean, Jesus is not an additive. He's a foundation. It's not like if I can just get a little bit more Jesus on top at the end of the week or at the start of the week, it's all going to. No. He's either the foundation and the central figure or your building is going to collapse. That's exactly what he tells us in Matthew 7 in a parable where he teaches on wise and foolish builders. One that builds on the rock and one that builds on the sand. Because the winds are going to come, they're going to blow. And that which was built on the sand failed, but that which was built on the rock, that which was built on the right foundation stood. You see, Jesus is meant to be foundation, and foundation is something we stand on every day. It's not like, you know, putting a little cinnamon on this oatmeal, and tomorrow I'm going to add some brown sugar. You know, I want a little whipped cream today on my coffee. It's not that. Jesus is foundation, not additive. And the fourth thing that I would tell you about Jesus is that he is either a liar a lunatic, or he is Lord. Think about the claims that Jesus made about himself. Think about the message that he proclaimed, that if anybody would believe in him, that they would have eternal life. Think about that. I mean, either he was just outright lying, completely crazy, or he deserves to be our Lord. Because somebody is sitting on the throne in your life today. I want to read a very non-traditional Christmas passage as we get ready to close out of 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said Let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Christmas is about light entering darkness. It's about the eternal God, the all-powerful, all-creative God, humbling himself to come to earth in the form of a child. And that child being the light of the world that would shine into all the darkness. Paul says in that passage that we just read, hey, we don't preach ourselves. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about how great I am. I'm not talking about how awesome our church is. I'm talking about Jesus as Lord. Jesus as 
king. And we will either be Herod, where we will look at the arrival of Jesus in our lives and say, "Uh uh-uh, you are not going to upset my life. Everything has been this way. It's going to stay this way. I'm not changing one bit. And we will kill. And you say, I've never killed anybody. But have you killed relationships because you were unwilling to follow Jesus? I've seen men so addicted to cocaine that they would spend every last dollar that they could get to the point that their family, with kids in tow, were evicted and homeless because there was the wrong king on the throne. And they kill their family in the wake of that decision. And we, look, we look at somebody like Herod and say, how could you do that? And the truth is we do that when we refuse to let Jesus be the king of our lives. Let's pray. Today, God, we look to you humbly. And God, we, we thank you that because of you, we have the opportunity to know you as king. And so, God, today, for those of us that are here that have wrestled with who is actually sitting on the throne in our lives today, those of us that have wrestled with opening the greatest gift that we'll ever get, God, for for those of us that are wrestling with that today, Would you, by your grace and mercy, show up and redeem us and challenge us? God, save us. For those of us that are in the room, and we would honestly say that I've never never opened this gift of Jesus. I don't even know what it's going to look like to take a journey and to follow him. I don't even know that, but I want to. God, would you, right now, by your Holy Spirit, lead us to that point to make that decision today? So with nobody looking around, just real quickly, I want to ask today, if you've opened the gift of Jesus by making Jesus king of your life, have you opened and unwrapped the gift of Jesus and made him king? Because if you haven't, The greatest gift you'll ever unwrap this Christmas is doing that right there. So where are you today? Is that you? Are you ready to unwrap the gift of Jesus this Christmas and make him king? If that's you right now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than raise your hand. Would you raise your hand right now? If that's you and you say, I would like to make Jesus king of my life this Christmas. Anybody else? I see those hands. I see those hands. Awesome. Anybody else that would say today, I have never opened the gift of Jesus, but I, but I want to unwrap this great gift that God's given us. Anybody else? Is there anybody that would also say in the room, you know what, I've opened that gift, but I've neglected it. I've neglected the greatest gift that God's ever going to give me. 
And I want to commit right now between me and God that I'm going to make this an issue. I'm going to get into the gift of Jesus and I'm going to unwrap it this year and I'm going to make it a big deal. Is there anybody in here that would say that today? I see those hands. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. God, today as we pause, it's a real honor and privilege to be in a room where you're working and you're touching lives. And so, God, we look to you. Those of us that have never made you, Lord, and those of us that just have left you a little bit behind. And today, God, we commit to look into your heart and to unwrap this great gift this Christmas. Thank you for the gift of your son. God, thank you for this moment with you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.